Welcome to the Boil Down Coffee Club Podcast, the meeting after the meeting where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live, and there's lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. I'm Don. Hey, Don. Hey, y'all. I'm Sam. Sam, what's shaking with you? Well, you know, one thing that is not shaking is money in my pocket. What? I have no money at all. Do you right have now. fear of financial oh, God, insecurity? No. I got money in the bank. Oh, it's in the pocket that's the it's problem. It's money in my pocket that I don't have. Like folding money, I don't even have coins. And you know when that really sucks is when the basket's going around. Oh, yeah. So yeah. seriously, I've been to several meetings recently, and I have yet to go to the bank to get some cash. And the only reason I carry cash anymore is to throw it in the basket in AA meetings. Well, and to do that, I actually have to go into the bank where I go and get a bundle of fives because 20s are generally no good at the meeting either. Because most of the time, people don't have change. Right. And so... One of the things that has uh, been really cool lately, my home group, Young People, yeah, we have implemented using uh, taking digital seventh tradition contributions. Digital seventh se- digital, digital tradition. Okay, boomer. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's um, easy for you to say. <laughs> and you know, and basically, what it means is those of us who do not have cash, which can is a lot still of people, contribute. a lot of people don't carry cash. Exactly, and it's one of those things that I'm like, I hope to see this continue to grow in other home groups. Um, one of the things that we did was wait a minute, it, that, that's it. really yeah. hard to do uh, because don't all of the apps and things that share money. It records who gave the money, so it's breaking anonymity all over the place. Is that true? Well, so first of all, there's that difference between anonymity and privacy. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Anonymity means that uh, I don't say I'm a member of an Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't say that you are either. Privacy is privacy, the maintenance of my transactions and keeping things secret and things like that, keeping my personal information personal. Mm -hmm. Um. So with anything that I use a credit card for, anything like that, I'm giving up a little bit of privacy for the sake of convenience. Mm -hmm. And the privacy that is given up by using Cash App, uh, which is what we've settled on. We looked at Venmo, but Venmo has that social feature and it's turned on by default. That's what I was worried about. That shows everybody what you're doing. Well, Cash App doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. And that was one. Of, that's the. And this is not a uh, an AA endorsement of Cash App. This is no. this is what we settled on because it works and it maintains the privacy at a level that we're comfortable with, and it appears that people who are using it are comfortable with. And that is our treasurer sees who donated. Oh, that's well. The, that's good. That's all. Yeah. That's what so, you want. I mean, anytime you pay anything, the people who are getting the money let's see. Who gets it? I mean, everybody in the restaurant knows your credit card number. Yeah, the and, when we're passing and, the, <laughs> and when we're passing the basket around and I throw a $5 in, 
somebody sitting next to me is liable to see that Sam threw money in the basket. So it's it's I that like type of I thing. like this idea. So it's it's working really well. We've had it implemented for a couple of months. It's by no means the bulk of our transactions or anything like that, but the seventh tradition contributions we're getting are coming in through Cash App as well. And that's a big deal because we are truly moving away from carrying cash in our pockets. I like the idea because one of the traditions in our home group is for if it's your anniversary, whatever it is, you put $1 in the basket for every year mm-hmm. that you've been sober. And it starts to add up when you yeah, get Yeah, when you become an old fart. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's like, I mean, good Lord, I'm uh, almost putting in as much money as a, I used to spend on a keg of beer every year. That's about right. That's good. Yeah, and, and I would spend that money. Yeah, Without yeah. complaint. Totally. So maybe uh-huh. I'm, so I'm not. Maybe, so I'm not complaining. Maybe you should do more. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not complaining. But so, but what the hard part is bringing in the cash, being sure to have yeah. the cash for it. So that would be exactly. really good. It, it's just super convenient. I love that I can sit down in my home group meeting, and we've got little cards in the in the seven tradition baskets that uh, have a a code on it that people can scan to get to, to make the, a donation to make the donation and uh, and it tells them that they can do this this way and I can just make a donation on my phone in 10 seconds. How hard would it be for my home group to set that up? Super simple. As long as your group's got a bank account, the bank account has to be set up for mobile banking, uh-huh. uh, which most of them are these days by default. And you have to have an email address. And that's the cool thing too is that with Cash App, it's not attached to a phone number. It's attached to an email address. Mm-hmm. So, and that's it. It, it's really easy to set up. Wow, okay. Um, the other thing, uh, which you, you reminded me of by complaining about having to put money in the, the basket on your anniversary, is that you can set up an Hey, app. it adds up. <laughs> you can set up a recurring donation on AA.org if you want to contribute directly to AA World Services. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like public radio's sustainer model. You can. I've got that set up for my my own self. My own self. That just sounds my stupid. Own self. My own self. <laughs> and uh, and every month I've got a contribution that goes to AA, um, and that's a cool. I like being able to do that. At what that level? Means, where does it go? That's going to the general service office to uh-huh. AA World Services yeah. directly. So the other things that I wanted to chat about real quick were uh, on the digital side of stuff is um, meeting guide. Have you ever used it? Oh, yeah. I use it all the time. All right. Used it recently traveling. It's fantastic. And and I highly recommend it, particularly for traveling, that people use Meeting Guide when they're traveling. It's great for finding meetings. However, when you're looking for meetings locally where you live, use your local website. That way you're finding out more information about AA where you live. That's right. The local information. Exactly. Community. But one of the things that I, I really would like our listeners to do is like right now, if, uh, if you don't have Meeting Guide, get Meeting Guide. And then look for your home group on Meeting Guide and see if it's there. Because if it's not, it really ought to be. And that's me saying it, not AA saying it. But AA has purchased, AA has the license for the Meeting Guide app. It's AA's now. And I didn't know. That's yes, new. Yes, it happened in the past several months. Wow. And so if you go to aa.org, up at the very top of the page, there's a link to Meeting Guide app. And in there, you can also find out if your home group is not showing up in Meeting Guide, how you can get it to show up in Meeting Guide. So you can get the information about how to get your meeting listed. Exactly. Yeah. 
And so I hope that uh, I hope our listeners will actually check that and, yeah, and see about that because it's a big deal. It makes it so much easier, particularly for visitors, to find meetings. Completely. Um, also, yeah, you look on Meeting Guide and it shows you where the next meeting is based on your location. Exactly. It is awesome. Yeah, it's super. It is really cool. The future is now. And it's fed by the, the websites of the uh, the areas that are creating those meeting schedules. So mm-hmm. District 23 here, Greensboro, nc23.org, feeds our meeting schedule information into Meeting Guide. Yep. So that's a, that's a really cool thing. The last thing I wanted to touch on real quick on the digital side of stuff is uh, the TIAA Forum and the NAATW. Um, oh, I don't know about those. I know about the ODAAT time. What, what, what's, what's that, Don? ODAT! ODAT! Uh, One so, day at the time. Go ahead. What is the ITT in the NCO? Sunny. Uh, <laughs> uh, so TIAA Forum is the technology in AA Forum. And it was created because of people coming together at the NAATW, which is the National AA Technology Workshop. So that workshop happens once a year, but people who attended want to continue the conversation. And so the TIAA Forum was created. You've gone to that a a couple of times. Yes, many times. Uh, We even hosted it here in North Carolina one year. Mm -hmm. Um, So the TIAA Forum is a fantastic place to get help on things like meeting guide and cash app and other technical stuff that has something to do with uh, recovery. Mm -hmm. So uh, to get there, you go to TIAA-forum.org. TIAA-forum.org. And that will uh, help you in whatever way. That sounds good. Let's go. Oh, wait, we've got a podcast to do here. Oh, no, I'm done. See you. (laughs) That's it. Bye. Okay, we'll see you. (laughs) Hi, Dave. (laughs) Hey, guys, don't let me interrupt, really. (laughs) Oh, you're so quiet over there. (laughs) Yeah, that's I've never heard that before. (laughs) Probably won't again. Dave, introduce yourself. I am Dave, and I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Dave. Really glad you joined us. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. And thanks for sitting here through all that. (laughs) I know it was kind of like... Excruciating. Yeah. (laughs) No, that's really, it's really neat to see that finally happen. More than once I've been sitting in a meeting and and the basket goes around and I say, oh, I don't have any money. Yeah. Yeah. And then when I finally have cash and I put $20 in there, everybody, yeah, what? What? I haven't put money in the basket for two years. (laughs) (laughs) And you only put in a 20? Exactly. Dude. Do you do $1 a meeting or $2 a meeting? I do at least $2. $2. That's That's for me. If I don't know the meeting, I'll put in at least $2. If I know the meeting, like uh, young people's, I know that we donate on every level. I'll usually put more than that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, and, and that, that aligns with that 2-5 uh, that recommendation from the World Services, which is, you know, when you go to a meeting uh, that's not your home group, put in 2 bucks, and if you're at your home group, put in 5 bucks. Yeah. Now, my home group meets three days a week. I don't necessarily go to all three meetings, but if I go to more than one, I'm not putting in 5 bucks every time. This is starting to add up. I'm going to have to get know. that app. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's a, you know, it's a long time. I think 1945 people were putting a dollar in the yeah. basket. So maybe we sh- inflation and all, maybe we should put more than a dollar in the yeah. basket every time. <laughs> you know, the thing I always heard was you should put in the same amount that you would spend on a night out drinking. Ugh. Oh, Lord. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> God, well, now, really? for, for some of us, 
wasn't very much in today's dollars. It would be what three dollars, yeah. six dollars for a couple drinks. But <laughs> no. nowadays, a mixed drink Wait, is what like what yeah, seven seven dollars. No, you know what that sounds like. <laughs> so yeah, I only drank two or three. <laughs> yeah, really. I mean, that's all. I'm but not an alcoholic. When I drank, long necks were what maybe a dollar. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was less. Yeah, but that's still, not the case now. <laughs> I wonder how much a keg is now. It's not thirty dollars. I know that. It's not thirty. It's not. I'm sure it's more than that. Yeah. Okay. I wouldn't begin to know. Yeah. It's been a long time since I had a keg. How long has it been since you had a drink? April fourth, nineteen eighty-eight. Dude, that's the year I graduated (laughs) high school. (laughs) The looks on your face. Nineteen eighty-eight. It doesn't feel that long. No, it doesn't. And you don't make it look that long. Thank you. You're welcome. No, it's a it's a weird thing that. My drinking is present in my mind, and it comes it comes back. Different things come back, and it's it's weird that the stuff with alcohol comes back. I I don't think about the the Dr. Peppers that I used to drink, <laughs> and you know think back longingly. Oh, it's wonderful drinking that. So I'd like a Dr. Pepper. Yeah, I, it doesn't have the romance that alcohol has in my mind, or the obsession. That's one of the great things about going to meetings is is because it would be really easy for me to forget how nasty it was when I was out there. But by going to meetings and hearing newcomers and just anybody share about what it was like and what happened. And that's so, so important. So I want important. to go back to that desperation. Yeah. Because, again, especially that desperation of that last, you know, the day that I took my last drink and... I was at that place where Bill Wilson talks about wanting to jump out the window. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the one line that that I really related to in his story is that I had that desperation. And I'd, I was living with my parents. I was were, in high school. Were you suicidal? Um, or do you have an impulse? that? Why did you relate to jump out the window? Because I didn't know what else to do. I, I didn't want to drink, and I didn't want to not drink. And I didn't know that there was... I had been to enough meetings. I actually went to treatment when I was 15. And then um, I was in and out for about three years. And You didn't believe you were an alcoholic. I really didn't. No, 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 no. I, absolutely not. I, I knew that I had a problem with uh, outside issues, with other substances. Mm-hmm. But the alcoholism thing, I really wasn't convinced on. And I couldn't imagine my life without alcohol. Like, I couldn't imagine going through my 21st birthday without taking a drink. I couldn't imagine New Year's Eve without taking a drink. Those, that, those ideas, which, hello, that's sign number one that you might be an alcoholic, right? <laughs> um, you know, if you told me that I couldn't eat Brussels sprouts for the rest of my life, it wouldn't bother me. Mm-hmm. You tell me I can't have alcohol for the rest yeah, of my so life. We, we got problems. What are you saying? <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, that... that I knew that there was another way, and I'd been come to, coming to enough meetings that I'd heard enough people share. But I don't think I really believed that that was something that I could have. Well, now, was that all AA meetings that you went to, or did you look at other NA I did. Such, I, I tried. I did try NA meetings. Um, I felt more at home in AA, even though alcohol was not necessarily like my first choice. Yeah. Well, and but 1988, uh, NA was... R- quite a newer organization than it is now yeah it was very new but you know one of the 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 strongest things that has been said to me is go where you're fed Mm -hmm. and Uh and some of us hear what we need in na some of us hear what we need in aa some in cma ca all the other a's yeah yeah and i i do remember 
oof, when I was coming to meetings, and I got sober in Durham, North Carolina, I was far and away the youngest person by like 15, 20 years. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, you know, we, we didn't have anything like a young people's meeting. Mm-hmm. Back back then, well, yeah. I got over, let me tell you what it was like. <laughs> but yeah, it was very different, and I'm so so. And that's one of the reasons that I feel like you know, young people's is my home group. That's why I feel at home there. Uh, I just think it's so important that whoever that newcomer is, when they come in, that they feel at home. Uh huh. What was going on with you that last time that you drank that made you want to give up entirely? Um, so specifically more than once I had, um, gone out, came back in and, and when I was out, I knew, you know, I went out with the idea in mind, I'm going to have one or two drinks and that's it. I'm going to stop. And of course we know how that works out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I went on a road trip with uh, a buddy. We went to Washington DC and we spent the whole time obliterated. And I just remember the drive back. I was just thinking, I've got to get this under control. This is not, I can't control this. And I still went out again, and it was Easter Sunday in, in 1988, and I just remember that I didn't want to drink anymore, and I just didn't know what else to do. Um, I had been going to meetings, and there was a guy in the meeting, Charlie F., and he kept sticking his hand out to me and saying, you know, call me anytime, here's my number, you know, welcome, it's good to see you. And I didn't really, it, you know what? I always say this, it's not necessarily that other people weren't being welcoming to me, but I didn't feel welcome. Mm-hmm. And that was probably magnifying things through my own, you know, brown colored glasses, right? Mm-hmm. But he was the one who I really remember was, was welcoming to me. And when I got to that place where I, I said, I don't know what to do, and I hit my knees and I said, God, please help me. Um, and he was the first person that came to mind, and I called him up and I'll never forget this. It was the most bizarre thing because I'd heard people share this in meetings, but I had never done it. I called him up and I said, Charlie, I feel lonely. And I had never shared with somebody something that vulnerable and that honest. And it took me a while to realize that's what rigorous honesty is, right? Mm-hmm. I, like I understood what cash register honesty was, but yeah. not not rigorous honesty. To, to be vulnerable with somebody and say, I feel lonely, you know? <laughs> that sounds like some Stuart Smalley stuff, but that was, that's a real thing. And that's power. I did a lot of drinking around that. Yeah. You know, I, I, I want to comment on something that you, you said that, you know, you felt welcomed by him, but you're sure that other people welcomed you too. And in that moment, as soon as you shared that is when it hit me that one of the things that I do in meetings is that if I see someone that's new and other people are talking to them, I'm like, well, oh, they, they got them. It's good. And what I just got in that moment is that, no, I still need to say hello. I still need to be welcoming, even if other people have already done it, because there's no telling who it is that they're actually going to connect with. Yeah, that is, that is yeah. really, really important. And that's, I'm not, I'm, I do the same thing you do. Sam, I, I, yeah. ah, they, there's a crowd of people around him. I don't need to say hi, but that is, well, you, you don't, don't know who's going to connect. Yeah. You don't know who, yeah, you don't know what's going to connect with someone. There, there was a guy at when I first came in, and I can't remember his name. He had about 25 years at the time when I came in, 
and he has moved on. I don't know what happened to him. But I really remember him at the meetings. He would come up every meeting and say, Don, welcome. And he'd, he'd hold my hand and shake it with such sincerity, with his look in his eye, welcome, and not say anything else, and then walk away. And he did that every time that I went to the meeting. Now, he went around the room and did that to everyone. Even though I never did talk to him, for some reason, the, it, the piercing nature of it got through to me that I was welcomed. But, and I felt like I was really welcomed at that meeting. So just a simple thing of like, even if you're not talking to somebody who's busy and talking to someone else, making sure, going the rounds at the beginning of the meeting and shaking everybody's hand and saying welcome makes a difference. It's a big deal. Yeah. It really is. I, when I moved from Greensboro to Mebane, which is, I don't know if you know where Mebane is, but it's, it's a little, very small town. <laughs> I started going to meetings there, and I didn't really like them, so I started going to meetings in Chapel Hill. And I, there was one meeting in particular that I went to, uh, the Wild Bunch. And the first time I showed up there, there was a guy, and, you know, they don't know me from Adam's house cat, so I walk in, and I sit down, and, and this guy, Eric, came up to me and shook my hand and said, hey, welcome, I, I don't think I've ever seen you here before. And he took the time to get to know me, and he said, oh, you'd like to play poker? What, I need to hook you up with these guys. Mm-hmm. And that became my new, my new crew. Uh, and that really made all the difference in the world. Like, I immediately felt connected and a part of, in a completely foreign, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. foreign town. It's kind, it really is a big deal. I went to a meeting at the beach one time, and so it was a small meeting at a small club. And I walked in there, and I'd been sober for a while, so I wasn't like in a desperate situation. I was just hitting a meeting while I was on vacation. And nobody said anything to me. I sat through the meeting, and then afterwards, they were all standing talking to each other, and I went up to a group of people, three, three people talking to each other. They never looked at me, never acknowledged my existence. I went to another group of people. They didn't have anything to say to me at all. And I left. And I was going, well, that's, I, that was a terrible meeting. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But what was happening was they weren't being unfriendly. They were just wrapped up in their own stuff. You know, they're talking to their friends after the meeting. Yeah. And it's so easy not to see the person who is just dropping by. It's incredibly easy for that to happen, for me to get wrapped up in that, mm-hmm. and uh, particularly at YP after the meeting. After Before the, the meeting, meeting, I'm much more apt to, to walk up to somebody that I don't know and, and introduce myself and welcome them and all that. But after the meeting, or even like, you know, in the last five or 10 minutes before the meeting starts, um, I'm like visiting with friends. And, 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 I, and I'm torn on that because it's that thing of, you want to. These are the only people, this is the only time I get to see some of these people. Yeah, I, I right. want to visit with my friends. Right. Maybe I need to do something different. <laughs> I know. I, I think I need to be, pay more attention to the end of the meeting and make making sure I'm hitting everybody at the end of the meeting as well. Yeah, and I shiver to think of your situation, Don, where you're at the beach and you show up. What if you're a newcomer? Yeah. And that's that's what scares me. And it is, yeah. like like you guys said, mm-hmm. it's really easy for me to get wrapped up in that. Okay, so you, you got sober, and you you said you hit your knees 
at that last time that you drank. Yeah. Is that from, did, were you religious before, or did you have, oh, uh, no. <laughs> is this from Or were experience? you just unable to stand? Yeah, <laughs> were you so drunk you hit your knees? <laughs> I don't think I knew what else to do. I, I just, I knew that I needed help, and I knew it's kind of like, you know, the foxhole prayer. Mm-hmm. Everything else has failed. My will has completely failed me at this point. What else can I do? Were you in trouble? You know what? I wasn't. I, I mean, I'm I'm incredibly lucky and blessed that I didn't have any legal trouble or anything well, like then, that at that time. Well, then what's your problem? <laughs> Describe the, your mental state there. What was going on? You know, more than anything else, I just remember a complete loss of control. And like I said, I, I had every time that I went out and was going to drink, it was... Okay, I'm only going to have two drinks, yeah. um, and then that's awful. When when things, you know, go awry and don't go the way that I had planned, and you know, I wake up the next morning, it's I'm not I'm never going to drink again. I'm going to go back. I'm going to go try AA again, and I had I had enough you know white chips you know beginner chips to tile a bathroom with because I would you know sometimes I would just go and not pick one up, but usually I would go and pick one up and. You know, I, I, of course, I always felt like people stared at me and were like, here he comes again, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that was probably more me than anything else. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was just enough. Enough was enough. So the end of your drinking was what what I call the iron claw machine, which is what I... <laughs> Which is what I was trapped in, in that I was trying my best to not be an alcoholic mm-hmm. by controlling it. By, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out, I'm only going to have two beers and three beers or whatever. Never work out, day after day. And it was, the iron claw was on me in that I'm, I am trapped. And, you know, when I was in rehab, I remember I, I got there and... and I, they said, all right, so, you know, what, what's your deal? And I was like, well, I'm, I'm, an, I'm an addict. I'm a drug addict. I had like, no problem admitting that. And they said, oh, well, do, do you drink at all? Yeah, but just <laughs> very sparingly, like only occasionally. What about when you don't have access to drugs? Yeah. <laughs> about $3 like, they, yeah. a night yeah. worth. That's it. <laughs> and they said, oh, yeah, you're an alcoholic. And I said, no, I'm not. I keep coming back. You'll, you'll find out. And when I left there, or actually, I'd say when I left there, when I was politely asked to not return oh. <laughs> after 37 days in a 30-day program, I remember thinking, I'm going to show you guys. I'm, I'm going to stay sober or clean. I don't think it lasted 90 days, maybe, before mm. I was drinking again. And, of course, it was, it was drinking. Well, I'm not going to do that other stuff, but I can drink. And, of course, we know Did you wind goes. up doing the other stuff, too? Oh, yeah. 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 And you're totally aware of all of it and that you're doing it against your will. And that's the conflict that was going on when I finally hit my knees. Yeah. It's, I don't want to do this, but I can't not do this. Yeah. I can't not do this and I can't do this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I mean, my, when I hit that bottom, I was definitely feeling the, I don't want to do this, but I can't not do this. And, but part of that, that, that wasn't like incredibly strong for me. It was still one of those things that it was like, alcohol is the only thing that makes life tolerable. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's fucking up my life, but yeah. But I also had all these other consequences, like the job was threatened and, and this was, and that, and you know, all these things that were, um, actions and consequences and all that. 
Um, so my, my bottom was fear of all this shit that was coming at me, uh, more so than the, the brokenness of, I can't live with it and I can't live without it. I just remember I, when I was really young, well, when I was really young, when I was probably 14 or 15, I remember one of our friends got sent to rehab and we were thinking, man, they're brainwashing the poor kid. He called yeah. that. So his brother, his brother was a running buddy and he had not gone to rehab yet. And I remember going out and we were thinking, you know, he, he was telling me, yeah, you know, Jason called me the other day and, um, he told me he's an alcoholic and we were like, wow, they've brainwashed the poor kid. And I remember thinking, you know, maybe we should stop, you know, getting high and, and no, what would we do? It's <laughs> <laughs> the very beginning of I this is my coping mechanism. Yeah. Right? This is yeah. how I deal with everybody coming like my life is so stressful. You don't understand. I'm in high school and I have papers to do and I have to take talk out the trash and, and talk to <laughs> yeah, right. Or be okay with the fact that girls won't talk to me, you know. <laughs> so yeah, I just I that that I remember that very clearly that that I didn't have any other way to deal with life. And when I took that first, you know, drug, we moved from California to New Mexico. And when I started going to school there, I didn't know anybody. And I'm 14 years old, so my confidence is real high, right? You know, I'm walking around <laughs> gangly big nose, teeth everywhere and I had I had like orange color hair from using sun in and I probably weighed, you know, a buck 15 soaking wet. I had a lot going on for me. I had like, you know, uh, it was a mess anyway. God, I so, want to see pictures. Yeah, really. <laughs> we'll put the, let's put these on the website. But yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll anonymity protect them. We'll, we'll put yeah. a black bar put, over put your eyes. Bit, yeah. But, um, I just, and I remember I, like, I didn't know how to make friends. And when I finally, Found somebody, and he was like, hey, man, you want to get high? And I was like, hell yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what I need. And from that moment on, I was fine for the rest of my high school career while I was in New Mexico until I went to rehab, pretty much. So alcohol mm-hmm. and drugs worked really well. Very well. And that's, that, why, that's why we use them. That's why, we're, yeah. that's why we use them. I mean, it really, and I would still be using them if they continued to work without the consequences. Yeah, But absolutely. eventually it... Now, kind knowing what up. I know today, I might not, yeah. but I can't guarantee that. Yeah, but I wouldn't know what I know today if I hadn't gotten sober. Mm. I mean, I really learned a lot from getting sober well, you know, on how to live. I mean, that's what it's about is how to live. I've read something a, a couple times recently, just a blurb. I think it's a, a Brene Brown quote, but it's, but it's something to the effect of fitting in versus belonging. And fitting in is me doing things that are not really me in order to be a part of a group. And belonging oh, is oh. knowing that regardless, I belong. I'm home, yeah. That's yeah. an interesting yeah. distinction. And fitting in is a huge part of my drug and alcohol use throughout yeah. the, those early years. There's the, a lot the of pretense with fitting in. Well, it also made it so that um, I didn't care that I didn't fit in. Which let me fit in. <laughs> but it also was doing what the people around me were doing, which was also a fitting in. Yeah. Yeah. And Don, you, you mentioned um, that if it still worked for you, you'd still be doing it. I remember I was trying to explain to somebody what it's like to be an alcoholic. And I just remember saying, 
if I wasn't an alcoholic, I'd be fucked up right now. Yes. <laughs> that's right. That's right. It's the truth. Yeah. <laughs> if I wasn't an alcoholic, I'd get drunk every day. Yes. That's it. <laughs> right. <laughs> because if there's no problem, I swear I think I would do it. <laughs> and what is it? The thing about if uh, if there was a pill that could make me drink normally, I'd take two. Yeah, right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right, right. <laughs> that's right. So what's your recovery like today, Dave? It, it changes. I, you know, I've gone through different phases in my recovery. I felt, I really felt like the first 15 years of my recovery were just like basically just getting by. When I fell in it. And you weren't, you weren't entirely in it? Or what do you mean? I was by? in it and I went to plenty of meetings and I had a spot. I think, so when I first got sober and I, I got a sponsor and I did that right away and I rarely if ever went without having a sponsor and without you know attending meetings and everything but my first really thorough honest fourth and fifth step i remember um, i did one when i was like probably nine six or nine months sober and then i got into a relationship and it ended badly and like i had any other way of ending a relationship at that time but i got a new sponsor and i did a, a very very thorough fourth and fifth step and he, when he was kind of one of those, just shut up and get in the truck boy kind of sponsors. And he said, now when you go, and we read from page zero to the end. And he said, um, now as you're making your fourth step list, if you think about somebody, I want you to put that name down. And I mm-hmm. was like, okay, so you mean like when I think about somebody that I have a resentment? And he said, no, no, no. If you think about somebody, put the name down. And I was like, it comes okay. to mind. Wow. Did, so when you say think, and he was like, damn it, what is wrong with you? Are, you? are you dense? If you think about them, put the name down. And so that's what I And I had this list of, it was over 200 names. And then we went through and did the sex inventory. And he said, if you think about that person, put them down. Um, and I had names on there that I didn't even have names for, right? There was... Mm-hmm. Girl at SeaWorld, right? <laughs> so, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it wasn't like that, believe me. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, I, it was a very, very thorough list. And I think that was really the beginning of when I started to feel like I was a part of. And I remember when I did that fifth step, it didn't take as long as I thought it would because I thought it would take forever. But when I finished, like, my sponsor didn't go running down the street with his hair on fire, you know, disbelieving these horrors that I had shared with them. And it really was. It was the first time that I ever had that pink cloud. And I was in the midst of going through this breakup, and I still felt like I belonged Mm -hmm. and like I was a part of and not apart from. Another, you know, one of the really meaningful times in my recovery was uh, here in Greensboro. There was a group of us that started doing a gratitude list, and we were doing it every single day. And I did this for about seven years. I'd get up in the morning, I'd get my coffee, uh, I'd go sit on the back porch, I'd have a cigarette and a cup of coffee, I'd read the daily meditation, and I'd bang out a gratitude list. And it was, I really think that it subtly changed my life. It, it changes your life. It I'm really doing it does. now, and I've been successfully doing it for about two years. I'm doing something a little different. I've tried the gratitude list, and it felt contrived. Yeah. Because I'm at the end of the day or whenever I sit down to do it, I'm trying to come up with all these things. And instead, I've opened a Twitter account 
that is just for my gratitude, but it's about smiles. And it's whenever I catch myself smiling, you know, a smile equals instant gratitude. Yeah. And I'm noting the things that make me smile. That's cool. Yeah, and I haven't done I haven't done that gratitude list in probably 15 years. But I really think that it changed my mentality. And I remember the day that I realized it. I was driving to work. And, of course, in my mind, I had all these grandiose ideas about where I should be. Mm-hmm. And I'm driving my little Ford Focus to work, and I'm, I'm begrudgingly driving to work. And I'm thinking, you know, I really deserve to have a BMW. And it's raining outside, and I pull out of my street, and I pass the, uh, the bus stop. And it was, like I said, it was raining. And I saw these people sitting there with, like, you know, newspapers over their head waiting to catch the bus to go to work. Yeah. And it was in that moment that I really realized, hey, wow, you know, maybe I really, this isn't so bad after all, yeah. <laughs> you know? In in just like the everyday moments, um, I think you probably heard me share about having a motorcycle accident uh, a mm-hmm. few months ago. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, when I tell them the story, they, oh, I can't believe that happened to you. That's so horrible. And I, I'm grateful to be alive. Like I got up and I realized I'm okay. My girlfriend is okay. We're okay. Mm-hmm. The bike is a total loss. I don't care about that. I can replace that. But we, you know, they had to airlift my girlfriend to the hospital. And we got to the hospital and, and when we were aware that everything was relatively okay and we were going to walk out of there, mm-hmm. it was in that, you know, it was again one of those moments that you're like, this could have gone so much worse. And I really am grateful for that. And it would be really easy. And it would be, uh, back in my drinking days, really natural for my thinking at that time to be, look what's happened to me. Look at how terrible this is. Oh, my God, it was this. And also, (laughs) last week, my boss said such and such to me. And also, look at the political situation. And also, and then... Take this great big pile of misery and try and make it bigger and bigger. And I think that the gratitude list, what it does is train me. It's more than a gratitude list for me. It's gratitude prayer, and then I write down what my prayer is. It changes my think negative thinking, which is my default thinking, mm-hmm. to yeah. positive thinking. And and But the, what's weird is that after a couple of years of doing it, it's really happening. I'm, I'm tending to be less negative. Yeah. Well, and I find that it changes what I focus on. It, it, it is that, like you were describing, Dave, with the, the accident. I mean, I could focus on, holy shit, this was horrible and lost this and all these wounds and da-da-da-da-da. Justifiably. Justifi- yeah, yeah, totally right, justifiably. Right. And seriously, not yeah. being a snarky. Justifiably. Or, Wow. We, we're okay. Yeah. Um, and that gives me chills right there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's that, that thing that what I focus on is what shows up in my life. What I'm looking for is what I find. And that continues to present itself to me. The seeds you water are the plants that grow. Oh, thank you. Dick. Not <laughs> I, I was talking to a buddy, um, a couple months ago and he'd gotten a new sponsor and he was having some relationship woes, and he was saying, his sponsor was saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, he's, he, normally he would go to his friends and he would say, let me tell you what happened. I got home and this chick started blah, 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 blah. And he, he started in on this with his sponsor, and his sponsor said, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. 
let's take a look at your actions because I hate to tell you this, but you're not first prize, buddy. And 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 and, and that is that's that's a real that's a real paradigm shift when I can and and that's sticking with the winners, and I think that's another turning point in my recovery is when I really started sticking. My sponsor had me do and still has me do a fourth step probably every three to six months. Uh, You can call it a ten step, you can call it a fourth step, whatever. Mm. Um, And I think that's that's really impactful and. You know, going through that and understanding, I can't change what everybody else is going to do, but I can focus on me and my reaction to that. I went through a, a, a divorce a few years ago, and it was probably the toughest thing that I've ever done in recovery. And it was just a constant, constant. I mean, it was like a mantra, you know, everything is going to be okay. God's going to take care of me, you know, or... I had one friend who said, "Hey, you know what? She's doing you a favor." <laughs> but whatever it is, to 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 take that and know that I can work on myself, and it didn't take that long. I, I remember seeing my therapist, and she said, "I don't know if it's going to be three hours from now, or three days, or three weeks, or three months, or three years, but at some point, you're going to realize this is actually okay, and you're probably better off." <laughs> Quite frankly, and I don't say that to be, uh, you know, mean or nasty or anything, but it was not a great situation, and my life is pretty good, you know, it really is, and I think a lot of that is just doing what's in front of us, doing the right thing. Putting your focus on and, what you can change, what you can yeah. be effective on, instead of spinning in the hurt. And, and what's so important in that is is having the network of people that will keep driving me to that place you know put and I, I share about this in meetings you know I got I had friends that said you know get on my back we're going to carry you through this mm. uh, and that's that's absolutely been my experience in the program yeah yeah I've all felt that at different times I've, I've felt that at different times I know I was carried through the time period when my brother was dying and all this all the people in AA helped me out mm. it's amazing how we show up for each other yeah and, le- and learning how to do that for other people. Yeah. That's a big deal. Another thing that comes back to me, um, so you said stick with the winners. And one of the things that I always want to point out to folks is that if you're a winner, you got to let the people who aren't yet winners stick with you. Mm. Stick with the winners doesn't mean that you just stick with the winners. You also got to let the folks who want to be winner come and <laughs> hang out. Yeah. Something you said. Oh, yeah. Uh, my sponsor used to say when I would complain about something and I was expecting a little bit of sympathy and he'd listen and he'd say, they don't know how important you are, do they? And you were like, yeah, (laughs) come on now. I was talking to one of my sponsees the other day and he called me up and he was complaining about whatever. It doesn't even make any difference what he was complaining about. But I said, you know what? Call me back when you have some real problems. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's that's where the gratitude list can change yeah. things. Yeah, I just thought that that was the most superficial, vacuous thing. Make a gratitude list. It sounds so trite, doesn't it? It simply <laughs> does. And then, to, and to, to discover that by doing it, I'm, my way of thinking is changing. It. 
Yeah. It's a big deal. That's like being with that, you know, I, I joke about this in meetings. I didn't used to pay bills. I would pay cutoff notices. <laughs> and, so, and so occasionally my power would get cut off because I was a chowder head and I couldn't pay my bills, right? <laughs> and you go without power for a day, a day, one day, three days, and then get that power back on and you're like, mm. oh my God, this is so wonderful. I have Wi-Fi. I can watch TV. I have hot water again. But when we have power, we don't think about that, That's you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so there's a wonderful metaphor there about powerlessness and then finding that power and a power greater than ourselves. And then we get cut off from it because yeah. we take our will back and yeah, all that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Lack of power is my dilemma. Sometimes it's lack of water. Sometimes lack it's water. lack of gas, right? <laughs> lack of ramen noodles. Yeah. That is my... <laughs> my life is shit. Oh, yeah. shit. I, I, I buy the ramen by the case. I, I don't this. have ramen noodles. Yeah. Dave, don't go anywhere and protect your head. That, that owl's got talons, man. It's time for our old-timers question. Who you calling an old-timer? You. That's what happens if you don't drink and you don't die. Well, no matter how long you've been sober, it's still one day at the time. Shunny. Shunny. We've, we've had a lot of shunny in this show. <laughs> Oh, that time. <laughs> you can post a question for us on boiledowlaa.org. We have a question from Joe in Brooklyn, New York. Thanks, Joe. Hey, guys. My name is Joe, and I recently came across your podcast. I'm 40 years old, and I came back from a slip. January 12th will be 11 months back from that. I live in Brooklyn, New York. I'm writing to you to tell you thanks for making my daily commute into work and going home as I take two trains to get uh, to work each morning. The question I would like to ask is how do y'all, and he did write y'all. Nice. <laughs> how do y'all do with patience and tolerance? I am still working on mine. Thanks again. God bless. Patience and tolerance. Patience and th the, those two are linked. Aren't they? They're so they're they're different from each other, but to have patience, I've got to let me see here. To have patience, I got to let go of outcome, and to have tolerance, I've got to let go of outcome. But I've also kind of more specifically letting go of people, but they, and also events. Both of them, I'm letting go of outcome. How do I deal with that? It's it's like constant letting go. There's always a little more letting go to do, Sam. <laughs> There's the, You're letting go just as hard as you can. <laughs> as hard as I possibly can. Because it's all letting go. It's all letting go. All through my life. And I'm letting go at a different place than I was five years ago. I'm letting go a lot earlier than I was five years ago. Dave, you were talking about that when you were talking about different inventories and you felt like that the ones later were were you were superficial before but in fact you were letting go i think as far as you could at that time yeah. and then later you can let go at a different place i know it's gotten to the place with me that i'm letting go of things that two years ago would have just burned my biscuit <laughs> <laughs> it's like i don't want to be worked up into a frenzy about that 
No, because really I can't have an effect on it. So even though it's wrong, I'm not going to waste time spinning my wheels uh, fighting that thing because I can't change it. I can't do anything about it. Where is something I can change? Where's something place that I can be effective? So I change where I'm putting my energy from places that irritate me and I put my attention to places where I can actually do something effective. It's an easier way to live. It's real hard to do. (laughs) I recently, I have come to the realization that, so I've got about a, between a 35 and 50 minute, two hour commute, depends on traffic. And I've gotten to the place where I don't speed anymore. I'll go, so the speed limit's 65. And now I'm that old fart who's in the right-hand lane. I'm in the right-hand lane, by the okay. way. I'm not in the left Good. lane. All right. And I'm going 67, 68 <laughs> miles an hour. I came to the... Re- and my dad told me this when I was a kid, but I never believed him. If I speed to my destination, I might get there three minutes earlier. What's my serenity worth? Like, if I'm worried about being in the left lane and people cutting me <laughs> off and cutting other people off... What's my serenity like when I get to my destination? And I have found that it's generally not real good. (laughs) But when I sit in that right-hand lane or the second to to right-hand lane and I'm going 68 miles an hour, I'm cool, man. I I let people over. (laughs) You know, I'm not trying to cut people off. And it's, it's, it's definitely different. And the same is true of tolerance. Like you said, Don, I can't change what everybody else does. But I can change how I react to other people. And when I'm in that place, and people were in this place with me where they let me be a dick, because I was a dick more often than I wasn't, and I had a lot of people in my life who were okay with that. (laughs) And they're still okay with that, right? (laughs) Well, thanks, Dave. But, you know, that is is beautiful, your description of letting go there. You know, it, it, I love that you shared that about the driving thing and, yeah. and the serenity when you get there. I have gained that awareness and lost it so many times. It, yeah. it, it, it's not even funny at this point. It's a practice, Sam. Is that what it is? Yeah. Well, I'm a perf- I, I'm an alcoholic. If I can't do it right the first time, I'm not even going to try. Yeah. Come on now. Um, but uh, so one of the things that I've you know, this has been a conversation I've had with my sponsor lately uh, because. Uh, and, and, and I couched it in with him, you know, my fuse has become non-existent. You know, I, there, there's not even a fuse to light. I just get pissed off. And that's a lack of patience and tolerance. Mm-hmm. Uh, we looked at some stuff and, and one of the things that showed up there for me was a sense of entitlement that I should not be inconvenienced by this slow ass driver on the interstate. You um, have no right to hold me up. <laughs> Um, they don't know how important you are. Do you know how important I am? <laughs> um, you know, all these things. And, and it, it's been a multi-pronged approach for me, one of which was the, the smile thing that I told, talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, just trying to find something good to focus on rather than focusing on negativity. I started going back to my therapist again. I went and saw a therapist in 2017 for about six months. And realized, you know, and, and again, sitting down talking with my sponsor that, you know, maybe it's a good idea for me to go talk to this guy again. So I've talked with him and we've talked through some, some stuff around that. But the patience and tolerance thing, it waxes and wanes for me. But the biggest part of it is that sense of entitlement. 
Now, I have a quick little story to share with you about patience and tolerance. So a buddy of mine, he was my, he was my meeting partner uh, in the early days that whenever, kind of like a workout partner, if I didn't want to go to a meeting, he did, and if he didn't, I did, and so we wound up going to meetings. Well, his sponsor told him <laughs> to write patience and tolerance on a post-it note and put it on the mirror in the bathroom and put it on the cabinet in the kitchen and put one on the dashboard of his car. So I went to this website that you could print up custom post-it notes and I had patience and tolerance post-it note pads printed. <laughs> <laughs> I want one. Oh, and I, I, if I find them, I'll, I'll give you some. Um, and I, to start him off, went and put patience and tolerance post-it notes all over his back door. <laughs> Those post-it <You> notes, <laughs> I did. Those post-it notes, I still come across every now and then, one of them in a big book in some meeting acting as a, as a bookmark or something. Great. It was so much fun doing that. That is great. <laughs> one of my character defects. Oh, I'm sorry, Don, we're out of time. <laughs> one of my character defects is superiority. And... But I thought you were a victim. This ties in, well, the opposite of victimhood is superiority. (laughs) It's the same coin. I was was doing my morning prayer, and I I asked God to remove my superiority. It was a a daily thing. I asked to remove the character defense. I realized that I was in a situation working out of town with a bunch of people in a situation where in every event past, it's like my superiority shows up, and I'm like... I don't know. I get an attitude of superiority and it's <laughs> ugly and I don't like it about myself. And I realized I've been doing it for five days and there had been no superiority showing up. And I was thinking, yeah, this is really worse. You're cured. And I put in my gratitude list that, you know, I'm not acting out of my superiority. And as soon as I wrote that down, I was going, you know what? I don't know. This sounds like a bad idea. <laughs> And sure enough, that day... Look at me. I'm not acting out of my superiority like you are. (laughs) Sure enough, that day, I said the snipiest, ugliest thing to this guy. And I was going, oh, shit. (laughs) There it is. It came... So, you know, you ask God to remove something, and it shows up. So you have the opportunity to to not act out out of it again, I guess. So... I had to amend that gratitude list later in the day <laughs> uh, because it's a t- we send a text group text. Oh, so is he four? <laughs> there's about f- so you, you four tenth step to that gratitude list, <laughs> right? I had to tenth step my gratitude list. Oh, oh, that's great. Sobriety's hard. Yeah, but it sure is a hell of a lot better than what we had. <laughs> Amen, Dave. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Uh, thanks Thank for having you. me, guys. I appreciate it. I've enjoyed this. Watch out. Thanks for joining us. The Boiled Owl podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month. Visit us at boiledowlaa.org or email giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous in your city or visit aa.org. Please note, Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of Alcoholics Anonymous and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services. Hey, Don, did you know we got a flyer on the website now so that folks who want to share about the Boiled Owl can like actually put it up in clubhouses and other places that their meetings are held? 
let other people know about the Boiled Owl Coffee Club? Why indeed, it's one of the most exclusive clubs on the planet. Does it have an owl on it? It does. <laughs> Y'all can download that on the website, boiledowlaa.org. Greg and I had moved into my grandmother's house in Graham. And we didn't have cable or Graham? anything. Yeah. I used to, that's where I grew up. And, um, you cracker. Seriously. <laughs> and, um,